We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Oregon and Oregon State are set to face off for the final time as rivals in the Pac-12 Conference. We're previewing this week's rivalry game on today's episode of the Ducks Dish Podcast. And we're back. Like we never left. Oregon fans, what's going on? How we living? Thank you so much for tuning in to another episode of the Ducks Dish Podcast. Just in case you're new here, I'm your host, Max Torres. Excited to have you guys along for another awesome episode of the pod. Make sure you like, comment, and subscribe wherever you're watching or listening. You can always find us on YouTube at Oregon Football Max Torres. Not rolling solo today. I am joined by the absolute man, Jared Denny. Oregon beat writer for Scoop Duck on three. How we doing, man? Thanks for being here. I'm good, Max. How are you, bro? I appreciate you having me on. I'm great. I'm great. You know, got to uh, got to catch up with you and spend a little bit of time on the beat myself uh, in person in Eugene a couple weeks ago. We we closed out the press box with the man, the myth, the legend, James Crepia at like 2.30 a.m. after that USC game. So I'm definitely missing Eugene. Uh, I'm jealous that I can't be there for this game, but um, man, it's a really exciting time right now to be covering the Ducks, as you as you probably know. Yeah, bro. I think my immune system is still recovering from that press box closed down, but uh, yeah, no, we're we're getting through. It's obviously like the rubber's hitting the road this time of year, man. This is what the season's all been about. Oregon, Oregon State on Friday. Um, it all it all obviously starts now for the Ducks. Um, it's it's just really exciting times mixed with like a little bit of holiday holiday craziness. So it's a, it's a hectic week. It really is. Yeah, lots of traveling. I'm I'm back up home in the Bay Area uh, for with family for the holiday. And then I'll hit the road on Friday to go back to LA for modern day St. John Bosco around two in the CIF Southern section D one final. And then you also have Oregon and Oregon state that day. So it is busy as can be lots of football in the air. Best time of the year. We got Oregon and Oregon state kind of our plan for today. We're going to be previewing the episode, talk a little bit of Oregon offense and defense, Oregon state offense and defense, and then wrap things up with some big picture talk and some final score predictions so I didn't let you know about that, Jared. I'm going to put you on the spot at the end of the episode so we can kind of see how we think things are going to shake out. So, Jared, you kind of have a cool perspective on this because we were saying this before we recorded. You have a little bit more familiarity with the Beavs than most people do. 
Yeah, I actually, before I started at Scoop Duck, I um, spent two years covering the Beavers for the Corvallis Gazette Times, the newspaper up there, um, and it, which is a really cool experience. And there's still, I mean, be, because of like the COVID year rule and everything, there's still quite a bit of dudes around from that team that, that, that I was covering back in the day when Jonathan Smith still had that program in the upstart sort of point. And uh, the, the last year I actually covered them was the COVID year. If, uh, for folks who don't remember, and they notched that really kind of gut-wrenching uh, walk-off win over Oregon and Corvallis that had like way too many crazy storylines to count. So that was, I believe, the last game I actually covered Oregon State. So it's, it's kind of funny. I was just doing research today and digging back through stats and kind of looking at standout guys. And it's like, I, I covered a lot of these guys when they first got to campus. So it's just one of those funny full circle things for me. Very cool. Well, I'm sure you're excited to to be up in the odds and press box on Friday to cover this game. Uh, state bragging rights on the line, Ducks and Beavers. We know that Oregon's heading to the Big Ten, and we don't know what the future holds for the Oregon State Beavers, but let's dive into this matchup a little bit, Jared, because I think the offense is really an interesting one because I think it's going to come down to what Oregon can do as a defense to keep this Oregon State offense in check. Starting off with DJ Uyunglele, the older brother of Oregon defensive end, Mateo Uyunglele, is the new quarterback in Corvallis, transfers over from Clemson, who is struggling now that he's not there. So that was one of the talking points. You know, DJ was was not the problem at Clemson. They obviously have their own issues to work out, as do a lot of teams in the country. But the thing that I'm interested in with DJ, Jared, is that I kind of feel like Oregon State has has always fallen into this tier of one quarterback away. They just got to get that signal to caller spot figured out, and then they're going to be firing on all cylinders. They've had good running backs, good offensive lines, tight ends, receivers, but quarterback's always been that one spot. So what do you kind of make of this Oregon State offense with DJU calling the shots? Yeah, it's as soon as they added him last whatever it was, January, it, it always felt like a little bit of a luxury addition. I, I don't know if you saw it as that way, but they had, I mean, you saw how good they were last year, and, uh, and I mean, they they escaped with a win over Oregon with Ben Goldbranson at quarterback and there's no slight towards Ben Goldbranson, but um, he's not, he's not the best quarterback to ever come through that school. And um, I, I think you saw sort of, sort of some of the limitations of his game when um, Oregon state and Oregon faced off last year and to add a guy like TJU, a former five-star guy, somebody with that kind of arm talent and put him in this Jonathan Smith, Brian Lindgren offense. And um, I, I think a lot of Beaver fans were excited. And I know that like, he hasn't exactly like lit it on fire this year, but it's still a, a 20 to six touchdown interception ratio. He's, he's distributing the ball. Well, like that offense is very predicated on getting the ball to the tight ends and to kind of these speedy little burner receivers and letting them like rack up yak yards. And he's done that for the most part. Like the, the Washington game last week in Corvallis is what it is. Cause it was played in a monsoon and you saw Michael Penix who uh, might be the best downfield passer in the country really struggle in that rain. So of course, DJU was going to struggle as well, but I, I think like he's been about as advertised. I, I wasn't expecting him to come in here and like win a Heisman trophy or anything. I wasn't expecting him to like put up 40 touchdowns. Um, I'm a little surprised at how little, They've utilized him in the run game sometimes. That's obviously a strength of his. And if you can get a guy who's, what is he, 6'5", 250, kind of out there moving behind that offensive line, like good things are going to happen. So that, that's something I, I wonder if, like, quite frankly, we'll see a little bit, a little bit more of, especially with the amount of pressure that Oregon is planning to probably get on him. Yeah, he was, he was, uh, he was showing some moves out there in that Washington game last week when I was watching those highlights, that, that big spin move that he hit that freed him up for like another 15 or so yards. So, 
he moves really well for the the you know size he is, which uh, makes it more dangerous for for that Oregon offense. Obviously, I think one thing that definitely favors Oregon or at least helps them going into this matchup is the caliber of quarterbacks that they faced throughout the year. They they've gone against Penix, they've gone against Caleb Williams, they've gone against Cam Ward. So they're as battle tested as you could possibly be when it comes to facing elite quarterbacks. And I don't know that I'd necessarily put DJ in that tier. But like you were saying, he, he's done what he's needed to do. I think he's definitely helped the offense kind of reach that next level. Um, and you just got to, at the end of the day, you need a quarterback that's going to get the ball to your playmakers. He's going to take care of the ball and then just obviously run your offense and keep your guys composed. And I think he's checked all those boxes uh, for the Beavs so far. Where the challenge is really going to lie, I think, for Oregon in this matchup, Jerry, is is defending that run game because they've improved on their run defense <clears throat> excuse me from a year ago but this is a really really good backfield and we knew they had a good running defense the ducks did last year and oregon state you know all bets were off at that point they were really running the ball down oregon's throat so you got deshaun fenwick damian martinez and i think there was a little bit of news this week that he already announced he was going to come back uh for next year um, I might need to double check that, but I think I saw that out there flitting, floating the Twitter sphere. So it, it, the Oregon D line is going to have to have a huge day. You got to penetrate at the line of scrimmage. You got to have 11 hats on the ball, everybody rallying into the ball carrier, but this is a big task, no doubt. Yeah. And I think like where it, like it's been this way for a long time, like Oregon state's bread and butter is its offensive line. They have, I think one of the best offensive line coaches in the country and Jim Mahalchik and just the the ability that they have to bring two and three star kids on campus and like coach them up to literally like they they're starting left and right tackle Joshua Gray and Talies Fuaga are are both NFL prospects like they're both going to be playing on Sundays um, and I, I think they were both three star recruits like it's just a really impressive to see what Oregon State has done developing that offensive line and like it's clearly a strength of theirs it's not quite the same look as Oregon where you have like a, a bunch of really massive roadblockers. Like they're they're very scheme oriented um, and a, a lot of zone gap stuff. But uh, when you have a guy who is six foot two thirty and runs as fast as Tammy Martinez is, all you got to do is open up one hole, and uh, it, good things are going to happen, right? So it's like you said, um, it's a lot's going to depend on whether that Oregon run defense can find a way to slow down Martinez. And like credit to Dan Laney and Tosh Lupoy, like that was not a good. Oregon did not have a good run defense last year. Like it, it was abysmal at times, and it, it came back to bite them against Oregon State. And it's been it's been much improved. And like a lot of it, obviously, has to do with the portal additions that they made. When you bring in the Jordan Birches and Justin Jacobs and a guy like Evan Williams who can come down and stop the run, like yes, it's going to help a ton. But they've just been so much more gap sound and so much better schematically and so much more disciplined and uh, just so much more sure tackling wise this year than they were last year. That it's not really surprising to look up and see them with the, what is it? I think the tenth best run defense in the country. Like. Um, you watch them play for a quarter or two and see guys flying around and, and it totally makes sense. So it's, it's one of the things I've been most excited to see all year is this Oregon uh, rushing offense versus, or sorry, Oregon state rushing offense versus this Oregon rush defense. So it's, I'm personally going to have a lot of fun watching that. And, and it's interesting to say at this point, Jared, that Oregon still has a big test to face because it's the regular season finale. They've faced all these tests and really for the most part, I think, you would say that they've uh, passed all those tests throughout the year with the the lone Washington loss being the the main blemish that everyone's going to latch onto there, but they've gone against great backfields. Uh, you know, the, the Utah backfield with 
Jaquindon Jackson and Sione Vaki that did a great job there. Um, and, and that was, I think, at the time, the best backfield that they had faced. But here we are at the end of the season, and they're going against a really good backfield that definitely doesn't get talked about enough nationally. I think you have little old Oregon State over here, and it's easy to overlook on, in the grand scheme of things a Damian Martinez who is rushed for almost 1,200 yards coming into this game and nine touchdowns averaging over six yards a pop. So, yeah, I think to their credit, they've done a phenomenal job. Their their offensive line has, has really always been a strength, like you're saying, for as long as I've really known this uh, this Beavers team. But that's, uh, I think, where we got to expect Oregon State to kind of try to assert themselves. I expect Oregon to do the same thing on their side of the ball when they get it. Um, but I'd love to talk a little bit more about these receivers because I think, you know, you look at those guys and Silas Bolden and, and Anthony Gould, I think is the other guy's name. They're five, eight receivers. And you think, oh, they're only five, eight, like whatever these are, you know, it's not your typical, your Roma Dunze or your Jalen Polk over at Washington or any guy like a Troy Franklin. But just because they're five, eight, that doesn't mean you need to write these guys off. I mean, look at what Wazoo's, uh, I can't remember what that guy's name was. Um, the Wazoo receiver absolutely lit up Oregon. His name is escaping me right now. So like they've had guys that have had their moments against them and, and you can't give them any extra, extra yards or extra space because they're going to take advantage of you. So Oregon's DBs are going to need to have a big day as well. Yeah. Both those guys, you mentioned Bolden and Gould. Um, they, they both are great in the return game as well. Like they're just, they're just slippery, speedy guys. They both are around 220 um, yards after the catch on the year. Like, like I said earlier, like, it's like, as you mentioned, it's not going to be like Penix to a Dunze where you're just airing it out down the sideline to your big X receiver. Like TJU is going to get them the ball in space and uh, they're going to try to make plays. And it, it's up to Oregon's um, defensive backs and cornerbacks to kind of figure out how to stop them. And um, Kyrie Jackson and Jalil Florence have been really, really disciplined and uh, really efficient tackling-wise this year. And that's something that I think is, has played a big part in Oregon's defense being as good as it has now. We're, we're going to have to wait and see if Jalil Florence is even going to be available for the Ducks. Um, he, he didn't practice when we were able to watch on Tuesday. Um, he's obviously been a little dinged up, same with Kyrie. And you saw Dante Manning and Nico Reed and Triquest Bridges all, all get a little bit of run against Arizona State, and they, they've all done fairly well this year when they've been called upon. So I think Oregon's depth at corner is definitely a big asset. But um, when you have speedy receivers as good as those ones, like it's going to come down to sound tackling and just kind of limiting those big plays, I think. And Oregon has been a lot more fundamentally sound this year. Missed tackles are way down. Loved what you had to say about Florence as a tackler and and I'm glad you mentioned him kind of maybe being up in the air because that was one of my big takeaways from last week that I think Dante Manning has really taken a, a leap forward. I don't know if it's the the big five-star leap that a lot of people maybe expected. I think a lot of fans um, and just people in the Oregon football community, myself included, have kind of thought that Dante's play has left a lot to be desired because he came in with that five-star billing, highest-rated cornerback the Ducks had ever signed. But I feel pretty confident now after that Arizona State game um, where he had to go against a guy like an Elijah Badger who is really, really gifted, but he's playing on an awful offense this year. Um, but Dante has been playing some really good ball, and I think that I'm pretty convinced that that he is clearly somebody that they're more than comfortable turning to if they need to. You can move Nico Reed around a little bit if you need to. Um, so th this secondary is looking real solid. I mean, I think you feel pretty good about it, especially with how they've responded to uh, the loss of Brian Addison, who's still away from the team. He's who he was probably the best safety on that of, in that group. So 
being able to move guys like Nico Reed around if you need him. We saw Cole Martin have himself a day out in the desert and a little bit of a homecoming scene that they signed him out of Basha in Arizona. So I think you feel really good about every level of this defense right now, especially as it pertains to this matchup with Oregon State. But they're always well coached and they're always ready to go. And um, you know they're going to be fired up. I mean, there, there's, there really hasn't been a more meaningful Civil War game, rivalry game here with the opportunities that both of these teams have. Oregon to punch their ticket to the Pac-12 title game and Oregon State to ultimately play spoiler. Yeah, no, I agree. And it, just before we get off of Oregon's defensive backs, like you mentioned Dante Manning the season that he's had, and, and I've been fighting this war on the message boards and on Twitter, and it's just that, like, yes, it, it, like you said, Dante Manning hasn't lived up to that five-star billing, and uh, it, there, there's a lot of players that that happens with. And I think, like, I think you saw him have some nice moments last year where it looked like it was starting to click, and then he gets that targeting penalty against Arizona and misses the next game, and it sort of seems like not to blame it all on bad luck, but he, there's been instances where it's like, oh, the light bulb's starting to come on, it's starting to click, and then like um, for whatever reason, he isn't available or he gets dinged a little bit. I know he had a big knee injury after the 2021 season, um, but to see just some of the bright play that he's had this year, um, I, I think it's really good. And there aren't a lot of teams in the Pac-12 that have the luxury of calling on a Dante Manning or um, being able to rotate Nico Reed at nickel or outside corner, or even a guy like Triquist Bridges, like Triquist Bridges uh, played Oregon's third most snaps last year. Um, and, and now is arguably their fifth best, their, their number five corner. Like that's, that's a luxury. It's a luxury to be able to call on a guy like that and to be able to run him out there in special teams when you want to, like it, it just sort of speaks to the depth of this defense that Dan Lanning and Tosh Lupoy have built. And you're really seeing that depth at all three levels, Jared, whether it's the D line with some of those young guys like Mateo and Blake Purchase and Tatum Tuioti rotating in. The depth in the interior is insane with Popo, Casey, Taki. Um, you just have so many different guys. Doorless, obviously, we have to mention him. That can come in and really um, you know, have an impact for you, and there's not much of a drop-off when they need a breather. Justin has really slid right in, I feel like, almost seamlessly coming in relatively late in the season. I think it was around the halfway mark. Um, so that was not the ideal time. And then Jeff Bossa, Jamal Hill. I mean, Jamal Hill, I can't talk enough about him and how comfortable he looks after moving from safety. When I got out to Eugene, that was one of my biggest takeaways from that week. Like, oh my God, this guy is massive. And uh, Connor Soeli, he's been, he's been in there as well. Devin Jackson. So everybody's really firing on all cylinders. It feels like with this defense, you got to get some pressure on DJ. Obviously that'll be a big challenge for the uh, defensive line, but is one that I ultimately think they're up for. Make sure you guys stay tuned in. We're talking about the other sides of the ball, the Oregon offense and the Oregon state defense after the break. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? 
you need indeed. Welcome back to the Ducks Dish Podcast. Max Torres and Jared Denny chatting with you on a Wednesday afternoon, getting you ready for the Thanksgiving holiday. Maybe you throw this on while you're driving over to Watson Stadium on Friday. Ducks and Beavers set for a 540 kickoff on Fox. That's Pacific time. Man, it's going to be a fun one out there in Eugene. We're previewing this matchup, and now we're going to talk about the Oregon offense against that Oregon State defense. Oregon's offense is is operating at arguably the highest clip in the country right now. Um, You want to talk about other groups like Alabama and Ohio State, LSU, playing against Georgia State. Oh, my God. Just behemoth schedule there in the SEC. But in all seriousness, I mean, Bo Nix has this group completely locked in. Should have broken the single-game passing touchdown record if not for a pass interference call last week against Arizona State. Bucky Irving is an absolute dude, and Jordan James is killing it as well. Troy Franklin just keeps breaking records. I mean, where where what where do we want to start with this Oregon offense? Because they are playing some phenomenal football. Yeah, I think. I mean, I think we have to start with Troy Franklin just based on the the narrative of the last uh, week or so. The, the guy just broke two single season school records in one game, and um, sort of looked like he did it without getting out of second gear. Um, and that's sort of how it's been all year. Um, obviously, he's made some fantastic plays when Oregon has needed him to, especially like early in first quarters. I think that's been huge. Um, uh, I, I don't understand from me right now. I saw something this week where he, he's been one of the most productive players, one of the most productive receivers in the country in, in first half this season. So the, the ability for uh, Bo to just kind of be able to throw it up to him in single coverage and, and know what you're going to get, like can't be understated. And that, and that, that really like doesn't do justice to what his game is. I think he's become so much more technical this year, such a better route runner. He, he said during the off season that he wanted to get stronger and he's definitely done that. You're seeing him, his yak is through the roof compared to was last year and um i think he's absolutely deserving of some of the first round nfl draft grades that start to get slapped on him and um it's quite honestly just been a lot of fun for somebody who covers this team week in a week out um to watch a guy like that that like quite honestly Oregon hasn't had a lot of guys in the past like you go back dylan mitchell obviously set the school record in 2018 for single season receiving yards but like you could probably count on one hand the number of like true like go-to deep ball threats that Oregon has had like you saw Devin Williams was there during that last Mario Cristobal year but that never really worked out the way that people plan plan for it too so it, it's just been a lot of fun to watch this and I, I'm curious to see exactly what Troy's going to do in these last few really pivotal games it's so interesting that you mentioned how Oregon's kind of lacked that premier number one wide receiver because I think they've done a lot with the wide receiver position but haven't always necessarily been bringing in like absolute studs. I think certainly in the Chip Kelly years, you can kind of say that they did more with less type of a deal, just not like really, really talented recruits that, you know, had a lot of fanfare around them coming in, but you coach those guys up and look what they can do. But that's really changed. I mean, you look under Mario Cristobal with Brian McClendon, they were bringing They signed three all Americans in the year that Troy came in with Dante Thornton, who's now at Tennessee and Isaiah Brevard actually don't know what he's up to now. I mean, he's probably playing somewhere, but Troy was the gem in that group clearly. And it's, it's crazy to think about where he's at now because he did play as a true freshman, but they just didn't pass the ball very much when Mario Cristobal was the head coach at Oregon. It was a run, run, and then, Hey, let's run some more. So it was a really dry offense. And I think seeing guys like Kenny Dillingham and Will Stein come in here has been a breath of fresh air for the receiver position, just getting those guys, the ball. And then, yeah, Troy has just been so phenomenal to watch. He's 
one of my favorite players to watch on this team. Maybe it's just because he's from the Bay Area, so I like him a little bit more. Um, but Tez Johnson has really emerged as the true number two on this team. Uh, major yards after the catch guy and a burner over the top for sure. Good to see Gary Bryant Jr. get in the end zone last week against Arizona State. And then you got Bucky catching balls out of the backfield. A true two-headed monster at tight end with T. Ferg and Patrick Herbert. So everybody's contributing. I think that's one of the biggest things for me. Maybe it was just because of the ASU game last week, but I feel like it's really been a season-long theme with this Ducks offense is that they're operating at such a high level. The O-line is playing at a Joe Moore Award level and you just you're getting contributions wherever you need them almost it's never just one guy that's always carrying the load yeah and i think like one of the most telling things about how good this offense has been has been the things that fans are nitpicking about anymore it's it's been the like why isn't Garrett branching or getting more targets or why isn't trashon holden more involved in the passing game or why are the two big time transfer offensive guards junior angular from texas and the shot from east carolina they've hardly played this year because they were dinged up at the start of the year and Marcus Harper and Stephen Jones kind of took hold of the starting guard spots and and there's been no reason not to play them because they've been so good. Um, it, it, if those are the things that you have to complain about, about your team's offense, then like things are probably in a pretty good place, right? No doubt about it. You got so many guys and then Iapani Poncho Lalaulu has been one of the great stories. Getting to see him in motion last week against Arizona State was pretty wild. Just having, I feel like you talk about luxuries. I feel like having him standing out as, much as he is as a true freshman is an absolute luxury for this Oregon offensive line, which is playing amazing football under elite Terry. I really don't think, I mean, I kind of be curious to get your opinion here, Jared. Did, did you think that Oregon's offensive line was going to be playing at this level after you lose Adrian Clem and all those starters from last year? I sort of did just because of the, like, I remember writing this during July and August, like the depth, the depth is just absurd in terms of like proven talent. And like, it, it was going to take a couple of pieces clicking. Like you had a Johnny Cornelius coming in from Rhode Island and there's always going to be a little bit of an adjustment period moving up to the power five level, but he, he has hit the ground running and, and looks like a future like day two draft pick if possibly even higher. Um, like you, you mentioned Poncho. I, I think that's a guy like, obviously like a, a very, a very highly touted recruit and, by no means like the the highest rated Oregon recruit yeah. in the 23 class and he has come in here and um correct me if I'm wrong I think he's played the most snaps among any Oregon true freshman this season it's not particularly close and he he looks like a future all-conference guy and I remember uh, like Terry saying when we talked to him in August like this guy has the heaviest hands of any lineman I've ever seen and then like you mentioned you get a guy like that out in motion or you get him on some of those like exotic pull schemes that Will Stein loves and uh, it's a lot of fun to watch that's an athletic dude who is really violent, uh, re really, really sound in his technique. And um, he, he doesn't look like a true freshman, right? He looks like a guy who's been doing this at the Pac-12 level for, for three or four years. And and that's the guy who's coming in sort of that mid-second quarter to maybe spell Marcus Harper or spell Stephen Jones every once in a while. And uh, we've seen him at center a little bit. Like his versatility is absolutely incredible for a player that young. Like I, I'm so impressed with him and I'm, I'm really excited to see where he slots into this team next year. Yeah, he, he's such a phenomenal story, and we haven't gotten to hear from him this year because true freshmen just don't talk at Oregon. Um, I think the last one that did was Noah Sewell when he kind of got his first start against Wazoo, I want to say. So that's like the only exception I can think of. There was that really cool moment. I'm, I'm not sure if you were there when Marcus Harper was talking, and then Poncho came over and kind of got his flowers from, from Harper, who was just kind of hyping him up and telling me he had a great year. But 
just, yeah, major tip of the cap to Alik Terry. I was a huge fan of that hire when it happened. And then just to, to combo that with Mike Cavanaugh, who coached at Oregon State, I want to say formerly, just one of the most experienced guys at the position. It's just really been a, a, a perfect combo for the Ducks this year. And then I think maybe when you talk about transfers, Jared, guys that come in, had come in for Oregon, the the offensive line was a big part of that. And just, you know, new guys overall, even if it's have some returners like Jackson, <clears throat> JPJ, I think when you combine those guys with portal guys, it just, it speaks to the culture that they have and the chemistry they have and the bond they've made because you, you, you see it at USC. I mean, I don't want to say it's the polar opposite, but like you saw how reliant they were on transfers and it's not always going to work. You can't, you can't bridge that gap by being so reliant on transfers. And I mean, I don't want to say Oregon lucked out. Like they obviously identified the right guys, but the point I'm trying to make here is that it's more than just bringing the right guys in. You have, it takes a lot more that we probably don't see to make sure that they all click and are meshing at this level. Yeah, no, you're right. And uh, it didn't, you mentioned USC, you see places like Colorado. I want to pat myself on the back a little bit at the start of the year. I stole friends in so the over there. Like, yeah, like this this Travis Hunter, like Shador thing. It's awesome. Those guys are fantastic players. But if you can't win in the trenches, it's going to get ugly in October and November. And like, lo and behold, guys start to get a little dinged up. The offensive line, like, doesn't have the talent that the rest of the roster does. And uh, you watch what can happen. Like, it doesn't matter. You can have all the skill position talent in the world. But if you can't block anybody, then Shador is going to end up flat on his back. And I think that's something that would have, I'm not, I don't want to say it would have been easy for Oregon to fall into that. Like, I think Dan Laning and the staff recruit and develop at too high of a level for that to ever happen. But it's easy to imagine a scenario where they didn't, um, they didn't replace four starters from last year's line um, the way that they should have. And it, and it wouldn't be firing at all centers like it has been this year. So I think that's something you have to give them a lot of credit for is just evaluating not, not only talent, the guys who fit this scheme and fit this system really well and um, can kind of come in and hit the ground running. And it's like you mentioned, you have some holdovers like Marcus Harper and Steven Jones and JPJ, but you see a guy like Josh Connerly step up, like, um, that that was by no means a guarantee yes he was a five-star talent but we've seen like like we were talking about earlier a lot of five-star talents like kind of struggle when they get that first chance to start and and that hasn't been the case with him other than like some early false start hiccups in the year that he's sorted out at this point like he has been absolutely his advertised at left tackle and that's a guy who's just going to keep getting better and better so um it it's fun it's it's really fun to see what has happened to this offensive line and to be honest, like how young it still is. Like, I, I think we can admit, I don't want to assume anything, but like JPJ is a guy who's getting some, some pretty like favorable draft grades right now. Like I wouldn't be surprised if he's not back next year, but you're going to see a lot of pieces from this line back next year. And it, it they should continue as, as they have this season, just from a sheer production standpoint, like they're going to have to sort out the quarterback situation, but like the, the, the talent there is just really, really, really good. And I wanted to give the the offensive line a bunch of love because they're gonna they're gonna have a big task this week because Oregon State has one of the better defensive fronts nationally and you know I feel like they're a really well coached team and they've been having a pretty good year. Obviously, a, a little bit of air comes out of the balloon if you want to say that after the loss to Washington last week, which a two point loss. You think back to that that bad punt snap that they had to pooch out of the end zone for a safety. Like, what if that doesn't happen? You know, you're looking at maybe a different game. So Oregon State's defensive front is really, really good. I think they're number five nationally uh, with, with sacks. I want to talk a little bit about their group. We've been talking about the Oregon offense so much before we wrap up here. 
uh, opponents are averaging 20.64 points per game against Oregon State, and, and Oregon State's done a pretty good job defending their run, 103.3 yards per game. That's obviously a strength for Oregon, so you're going to see some good on good there. Um, what, what else can you kind of tell us about this uh, Oregon State defense, Jared, seeing that you're a little bit more familiar with them than most? Yeah, you mentioned the front, and, th- and that's something that, like, even when I was there covering that team, like, the front is what had people mad every year. Like, everybody was just like, when are we going to get, like, a true nose tackle or a true, like, like really good run-stopping st- run defensive tackle? Like, that's something they lacked for years and years. They've always had pretty good edge guys, um, but th- they've totally solved the interior of that defensive line with some really savvy additions. They brought in a guy named Joe Golden who's been really solid this year. And then on the edge, um, they have Andrew Chatfield, who's been one of – the most efficient like pass rushers in the Pac-12 this year. I think he's got something like 38 pressures and like a relatively low uh, amount of snaps. Um, it, he's an absolute menace. Um, but like you, you mentioned the front, but I think what has made them sort of special is their secondary too. Um, I, I think one of my favorite players in the conference and a, and a guy that I covered at Oregon State, Keaton Oladapo, their starting safety is I think one of the best safeties in the country. He can kind of, he's sort of a do it all guy. Like he can come down and stop the run if you need him to. He's good in coverage. And I know that like pro football focus grades are like a little bit of a funny taboo topic with some people, but he's got the seventh highest PFF defensive grade in the country. Like just sort of absurd for a guy playing at Oregon state. Um, They they have some dudes on this defense and it's considering um, the guys they lost from last year's defense, a couple multi multi-year starters like Alex Austin and Jaden Grant, like they've done a really good job of replacing those guys this year. And um, I think they've been better defensively, honestly, than I thought they would be because I thought they had too much to replace. But um, I, like you're, you're seeing why folks are so scared about Jonathan Smith leaving Corvallis because he built, built that roster really well. He has continued to kind of develop really well. He's replaced the guys that they've lost. Like there aren't a lot of people who walk into Corvallis and bring in the talent that he has and develop it the way that that staff has. So I'm intrigued to see how they hold up against Oregon's offense. Like, I think they did a pretty darn good job holding Washington in check. I know it was a tsunami in Corvallis for that game, but uh, there aren't a lot of teams that are going to hold uh, Dunsey and Penix like uh, under 30 points like they did. And if it if it rains at Autzen, uh, I haven't even checked the weather this week, but um, it, right it could get kind of, could, could could get kind of interesting. Like, let's be honest. Yeah, no, it definitely could. Right now, the uh, the weather is set for. 48 and sunny on Friday. So we'll see, we'll see if that changes, but I I was going to get to your point about holding Washington to what they did. So I think that's probably something that isn't getting enough discussion nationally heading into this game, even though it was a rainy game, those are still really talented guys uh, at the skill positions. And that was one of Penix's worst performances of the year. Um, So I think Oregon's more than up to the task offensively. I think, you know, it's, it's really the the defense that I'm going to be focused on in terms of like what kind of a game can they have because we know the the strength, I think, of this Oregon State team is, is their offense and more specifically their rushing offense. So that was a matchup you were excited about. Um, so I just think that Oregon has too much talent. I mean, the, it's it sounds kind of cliche and repetitive because they have more talent than almost every team in the Pac-12 just because of how well they recruit. You know, I know that because of that's my passion and my focus. But before we get to our predictions, Jared, we got to talk about the elephant in the room. Jonathan Smith being really, really strongly linked to this Michigan State head coaching vacancy with Mel Tucker getting fired earlier this year. Um, it's a it's a feeling that Oregon fans know all too well. Kind of felt like Kenny Dillingham might have had one foot in, one foot out last year because he took that Arizona State job right after the Oregon game. 
Um, so I'm, I'm sure that Oregon fans aren't feeling too great about that. And then, of course, Mario Cristobal's departure to Miami after the 2021 Pac-12 title game. I'm just curious to see what the vibes like with these got with these players, seeing that you know all signs right now are pointing towards Jonathan Smith becoming the next Michigan State head coach. Not confirmed, but you just you can't help but wonder how is that going to impact how Oregon State comes out. Yeah, no doubt. And it, it's a it's a nervous time for folks in Corvallis, right? Because this is uh, it, like it, it goes without saying this is their guy. This is the former walk on quarterback who led you to your greatest season in program history and then came back to resurrect the program after Gary Anderson ran into the ground and left it for dead. Like it doesn't it's almost like a, a sort of storybook type thing with them. Right. Like that. And I th- to be honest, like I'm, I'm obviously not as dialed in on the Oregon State stuff as I was when I was working for Ballas covering that beat. But this is a guy who, like, when I was covering Jonathan's teams, I, I had a hard time ever imagining him leaving because it was just such a perfect picture fit. They they were never going to get anybody in who can uh, recruit uh, to that town as well as he can and could build a staff that like he can and um, can sort of sell that vision like he could. And the, the Interestingly enough, the one place I could ever sort of see him leaving for was if the UCLA job came open. And that's obviously been a little bit of an interesting thing the last few weeks with Chip and some of the chatter coming out of there. But I mean, Jonathan's an LA guy. He, he went to Glendora. He grew up like just a couple miles fr- from the UCLA campus. Like that was sort of the one where I'm like, if that opens up, like Oregon State might be in trouble. And so to see how quickly the MSU thing has moved and how quickly those rumors are coming out I I think it's interesting and um, I I don't know if you saw his response to John Canzano yesterday when he was sort of asked about the status of where he's at um, contract wise and sort of his thoughts on the overall job and quite honestly I respect him for being as candid as he was Uh, for anybody who didn't see it he basically said like hey I've got an agent to take care of that stuff if he's not if he's not doing his job and like um, sort of telling me the best offers are out there, then like, what am I paying him for? Um, and I'm sure that answer made a lot of Oregon state uh, fans upset. And, and uh, that's not verbatim. Like I'm, I'm probably doing a disservice to what he said. You can go find the answer on Twitter and read it yourself. If you haven't seen it yet, but um, I'd, I'll be, I'll be interested to see what happens on Sunday, to be honest, like depending, depending on how the game goes, uh, like if he's gone on Sunday, like it's going to be ugly, ugly stuff in Corvallis. And I, I know this isn't a popular thing to say, um, with a lot of Oregon fans listening, but I, but I feel bad for the Oregon state fans. Like this is, um, they, they had a lot of reason to be excited this year. And I think, um, they've had so many near misses, like they've, three losses have come by a combined eight points. Like it's very easy to imagine a scenario where the season has gone much differently for them. And, and now you're sitting here like no, no shot at a Pac-12 title game, probably no shot at New Year's six bowl. And uh, you are like kind of nervously waiting to figure out what's going to happen with your head coach. Like it, it, like Oregon fans know it's not a great feeling. Right. So, um, and then you factor in the no longer having a conference, what's going to happen with their long-term conference outlook. Like it's, it's just gotta be a really tough time to be a Beaver fan. So I'm, I'm interested to see how that unfolds this weekend. I think he makes some interesting points, bringing up the Michigan state stuff. I, I personally, like uh, if, it, if it was my call, like I think Jonathan Smith is a top 20 coach in the country. And I think he can hold out for a better job. Than that Michigan State job, and obviously, like when the money starts flying around, and the the amount of dollars that some programs are going to throw out, um, it's easier for me to say like, why would he take that job than it is when you have the contract in front of you. But I think that's a guy who, um, if if he wanted to wait on it, could go get a much better job. Just personally, well, we will have to see how it all plays out. I definitely echo where you're coming from as far as just a tough situation for for Oregon State as well as their fan base with conference realignment next season but let's not keep the people waiting any longer for these score predictions as we kind of 
wind things down here on the Ducks Dish podcast. I did make my prediction story before, like the the more smoke came out about uh, Michigan State with Jonathan Smith. So I can't help but wonder if that would affect it. But I was back and forth a little bit. I had Oregon winning by two scores. I came down to 38-28 was my was my final score prediction. I think with rivalry games, you just you never know what's going to happen. Like I said, we're both kind of echoing Oregon has the talent on paper, but Oregon State is a really well-coached team. Oregon's obviously got a little bit of PTSD, at least Oregon fans, I should say, a little bit of PTSD from last year's absolute collapse out in Corvallis, which was followed by Kenny Dillingham's departure to ASU. So it's it's kind of hard to be confident at times, right? Just when you look at the history that Oregon has had in big-time games in November and just down the stretch. But to, to Dan Lanning's credit, it feels like this is a different team and a different kind of deal with him as head coach, his abilities to make adjustments both in-game and game-to-game each week, I think should give you a lot of confidence that Oregon can show up and, and maybe even win in a big way. But for now... I'm airing a little bit on the side of caution. I think the spread was at 13 and a half and I got Oregon by 10, 38 to 28 at home. Yeah, I had him. I'm sort of on the same page as you. I've got him at 31, 21 Oregon winning. Um, I think a lot of it's going to come down to time of possession, right? Like Oregon state's going to run the snot out of the ball and um, that's going to limit Oregon's ability to go score. But as many nice things as I've said about Oregon state's defense, like I, I think those defensive backs are still going to have a hard time matching up with Oregon's receivers. They they, they have good DPs. They've got Ryan Cooper Jr., one of the best um, nickels in the league, who I think uh, could maybe do a serviceable job against Tez. They, they've got some de- um, some decent stuff on the outside. I've mentioned their safeties. Keaton Oladapo and Achille Arnold are both really good run-stopping safeties. So I, I don't think it's a thing where, like, Bucky's going to run wild or or Troy's just going to put up 250 yards or something like that. But I, but I do think there's a talent gap. And I think you bring up a fair point. Um, I'm not, I'm not worried at all about Jonathan Smith's sort of mindset heading into this game. The, the guy's a professional, like, I, I don't think he's got one foot out the door, so to speak, but you, you can start to wonder about some of the players, right. Coming off that, that really tough loss to UW and, um, yes, it's a rivalry game, but the goals that they had at the start of the season are kind of no longer in front of them. So how much does that play a factor? And then. Uh, you're going into Austin, right? Like we mentioned, there's been some gnarly Oregon State over Oregon upsets the last few years, the one in 2020, and then the one, of course, last year. But they, they were in Corvallis, and you saw the last time Oregon and Oregon State played in Eugene in 2021, uh, the last Mario Cristobal year. Or Oregon won pretty handily, despite the fact that, that was a very unserious Oregon team that was going through a ton of nonsense at that point. So it is. It's obviously an understatement to say that like home field advantage plays a factor here, but I but I think it really does. And um and it like I've, I haven't even mentioned yet the fact that I think I just think this is like a really mature Oregon team. It's much more mature than we've seen in the last few years. And um you, you've got guys where there's not going to be any sort of like sort of letdown or any sort of uh like looking past the next opponent. Like they they know how good Oregon State is. And like we were talking to Jackson Powers Johnson yesterday, and you you could tell how upset he still is and how mad he still is about what happened what happened last year and he was talking about sort of uh some of the disrespect that like maybe the fans showed his family in Corvallis last year like that this is an Oregon team that's really fired up for this occasion and I think that like they wouldn't at all mind um sort of putting a big win hanging a big win on the Beavers um before they kind of part ways and head to separate conferences so as good as I think Oregon State is and I I think Oregon State's a hell of a ball team man like I picked them in my preseason media poll to finish third in the Pac-12 I've been really high on them all year I, I just think Oregon is sort of a buzzsaw right now and I I could tell you maybe like 
two or three teams in the country that I think could truly give Oregon a game at the moment. So this, this is no like, this isn't a disservice towards Oregon State. This isn't like disrespect towards Oregon State. I, I just think Oregon is kind of like, has really found its groove. Uh, the Ducks are healthy. Like they're as healthy as any team can really hope to be at this point in the year. Like there's, everything's kind of working in their favor at this point. Certainly feels like that. Certainly feels like that. And uh, Oregon's going to have to show up because you got the rivalry. And then obviously what can come from this game, Oregon looks to punch its ticket to the Pac-12 title game for a rematch with Washington. But they got to line up. They got to play the game. And we're all going to watch it on Friday. So before we get out of here, Jared, let people know where they can find more of you and your work covering the Ducks. Yeah, so we're over at scoopduck.com, part of the On3 network. Um, got a ton of st- great stuff in the rivalry this week. As soon as I get, get off here, I'm going to be writing some more of it. So uh, like we said, obviously a busy week, but yeah, go ahead and check that out. We've got some pretty good promos going for um, premium subscriptions for anybody who wants to tune in to kind of um, sort of the Intel type stuff, the, the scoop type stuff. Um, we, we've got a lot of great stuff over there. So great time to subscribe if you're looking for it. All right, make sure you guys lock in with Jared. If you want to find more of me, you can follow me on Twitter and Instagram at MTorres Sports. Subscribe to my YouTube channel at Oregon Football Max Taurus. We are on the road to 3K, and you guys have been awesome. So really appreciate the support. Run those numbers up for me. And you can read all of my stuff covering the ducks over on ducksdigest.com. But until next time, a big thank you to Jared. A big thank you to all of you for tuning in to this week's episode. And we'll catch you or today's episode. And we'll catch you guys on the next episode of the Ducks Dish Podcast. I'm Mark Chapman. Welcome to the Planet Premier League Podcast. Each week, Cesc Fabregas, Nader Manua, and myself talk all things Premier League. As a player, you don't have time to talk. No. You don't have time to make a plan. You just need to deal with wave after wave after wave. We watched Coach Carter, and he said, oh, afterwards, the game's just about doing this for your teammates. And I remember looking around halfway through the film, and half the squad was asleep. <laughs> Planet Premier League. Listen wherever you get your podcasts.